Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Welcome to Crunch Time. Right forward pocket, Cameron beautiful to Degali, snaps the goal. Artistry in the ruck, and Jordan Degali inflicts the pain. Spinning through Petraka. Wow. How he kept his balance and his bearings, I'll never know what a goal. Lipinski swings the kick to goal. He got so much on that, and the Pies trail by just a goal. Side bottom at the stoppage, poke it inside 50, and Johnson skids in to take the mark. Ash Johnson, 40 metres out, perfect. The Magpies put their nose in front. Middle stages of the final term. Nick Dacos to Josh Dacos to goal. It's delirium in the Magpie Army. The stars align for the D's. Off it goes to Neil Bourne. Hines is back. What an epic. Melbourne back in front. Kick goes for Johnson. One on one. Pushed. He was pushed. Johnson is a fine set shot. Wow. And this is every bit of it. There has never been a team with greater belief in tight finishes than this Magpie outfit. It's all over, they cannot be beaten! The siren rings out around the MCG. They've done it again, the Pies! Yeah, this group's got some belief, hasn't it? I don't know, we just sort of get ourselves in positions where we just, you know, three-quarter time, there's a few smiles on their faces. And like, here we go again. It's, it's just been our story. Um, through a lot of trust built um, in those moments. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. If you're a supporter, if you're a coach, if you're a player, pretty filthy on that. And in the end, Collingwood walked through the door. You know, we left the door ajar, and like the good team that they are, they walked through. In the box set of Collingwood Thrillers, this was the best edition yet. A titanic Friday night to fuel a team that is testing imaginations like few before. How far will it take the Magpies, and what does it mean for the Demons? They wanted to make us mentally strong. They wanted to make us resilient and a lot tougher in our mind. And, and I said to the playing group, and you know, that aren't we not resilient enough? Our coach was murdered. We, we had to galvanise together. We had to become closer together. We stuck through this pain. We were resilient. We were strong. We were tough. We were mentally tough. We had to get back and play footy again. That's resilient. That's tough. When we met as a large group, the outcome was to be to exclude the Indigenous players from the program. I stood up and I said, and I recall this vividly because I knew it was the beginning of the end for me as a Crow, you cannot be seriously considering isolating the Indigenous portion of our playing group in favour of this program. A program that we have already largely stated we wish to be removed, we've lost our way. The full disgrace of the Adelaide pre-season camp revealed as the players, led by Eddie Betts, find their voice. 
exposing the layers of failure at every level of oversight and authority. There's no hurry from our point of view and no hurry from Lance's point of view, so um, things are all tracking, uh, tracking well at the minute. They don't come much bigger than Lance, Buddy, Franklin, and I can confirm tonight that the Brisbane Lions are currently the front-runner to be his club next year. Very much news to me, so um, as I say, I've not had one conversation with Bud. I mean, I think Buddy needs to control this now. We are heading towards a finals campaign for the Sydney Swans. I think most players that go to a club for one year at the end probably end up saying, oh, I'm not sure I should have done that. I think he's got to consider the bigger picture in this. And after two days of rampant speculation, Buddy sensationally puts contract talks on hold until the end of the season. Is it the end in Sydney or is it the end full stop? It's the season's biggest edition of Crunch Time Yes. It is a Saturday morning that belongs to Collingwood and to the Magpie faithful. I doubt many of them have been home from the scenes at the MCG last night, but at four o'clock this morning, I sparked, sat straight up in bed rigid and heard this rattling through my head. It's sheerly terrifying and yet absolutely <laughs> enticing all at the same time. Collingwood 11 in a row and grabbing second place on the ladder with two to play. Jared Waitley with you. Luke Hodge is with me. Hello, Hodgie. Morning, Jared. Um, I'm going to hate saying this, but how much better is it when Collingwood are up and about? Oh. That crowd last night, I sat back just watching it and 70,000 people Friday night building into a big final series. And for them to come out and... The 11th win in a row, ninth by under two goals. And just what I looked at was how calm they were for a team who finished 17th to be able to go against the reigning premiers and just not get phased. Big crowd, big situation, and just everyone on that team knew what to do. In the last five minutes when they hit the front, everyone knew what to do. It was just a good night of football. There's this incredible presumption that that it will end at some point. Surely we've seen enough in sport to know that sometimes the mystical just completely takes hold. Brenton Sanderson, welcome back to Crunch Time. Yeah, thanks, Jared. That was awesome last night. I mean, the, the Pies are just playing with incredible belief. Um, their attitude uh, is brilliant. Um, they're playing with spirit. They've got to trust in the game plan. And the adjustments that were made at halftime and their ability for that playing group to be able to make those adjustments... And then fight. That spirit last night, um, it, it's, it was brilliant. And you saw the, uh, the players post-game and the crowd were just, the place was rocking. The MCG was absolutely thumping last night. It was brilliant to see. The players wanted yeah. more and more <laughs> yeah. and more from the they crowd in the aftermath. The, uh, the best like... part, when, when Maynard knew the song I was about to go, he ran towards the crowd and just started yeah. pumping them up. Yeah. It, was, it showed how much it meant to him. Yeah, the connection is is so vivid at the moment. It's absolutely intoxicating. So the Werribee Isuzu Ute Friday night score. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Collingwood by seven points after trailing for much of the night. 15696 over Melbourne, 13-11-89 in front of 71,000 fans. It's probably been the biggest news week of the year, Sam Edmund. And Saturday morning didn't disappoint. Uh, rare words from Lance Franklin, not spoken, but issued. Hello. Hello to you. Good morning to you, Jared. Good morning, uh, Hodgy. Sando, good to be here. That's right. Issued by his manager, Adam Finch, from Buddy Promotions, uh, Jared, which states that Lance has made the decision to put off his contract talks until the end of the season. Now, these words attributed to Lance himself, 
At this stage, conversations have been paused around my contract so I can put all my focus on playing footy. No further comment will be made until the season is done and I have decided my future. I am still undecided and need time after the season to make a family decision about whether I continue to play next year. And I think there's a fair chance, as of me speaking now, that was Lance earlier, that uh, we might get a statement from Sydney by the close of business today on this, speaking to that as well. Right, so that's... Yeah, that's really intriguing. Uh, trying to read the minds of Lance Franklin and Alistair Clarkson in footy right now is a rather fruitless yep. exercise. And you can get you can get information from everywhere, but what the worth of that is, uh, I don't know. So we'll, we'll delve a little further there as we go, Hodgie. But just as, just as it lands in front of you, your old teammate, what do you think? Yeah, well, my first surprise then was from Buddy Promotions. He's got his own <laughs> label. This bloke is big. But, um, oh, look, you... You sort of sit back and you got to feel for Bud a little bit. He's he's and everyone's sitting out there going, he's been paid a lot. They're not feeling, but he hasn't made a comment because he's letting things unfold. How many players, when they go through contract negotiations, get it, re- receive an offer, say, no, nah, we're not not happy, want to look again, we'll ha- keep chatting. But because of who it is, because it's the biggest name in AFL, everyone wants to talk about, it, everyone wants to raise it. So, look, I, th- I feel Bud's done the right thing. I feel he's he's put the the message out just saying, look, I'm going to focus on my football, and at least that way. Everyone knows until they finish that he's going to sit back with Jacinta, make a family decision on what's best for him. Do they stay in Sydney and have another year there or two if he plays good football? Or um, I guess the connection that everyone's looking at is Gold Coast. Jacinta's family is from Gold Coast. So that's where moving north up to the Sunshine State, uh, I must admit, Jared is quite nice up there this time of year. Um, so that that's where all those connections and alignment is. But look, all Bud has to do is sit back, let his management group talk to them behind the scenes and he's just got to go and do his best for Sydney. Hodgie, is the link to Brisbane legitimate or is it good old-fashioned <laughs> manager leverage? <laughs> oh, look, when, when when it came out that Bud possibly could be moving to Brisbane, you should have seen how many text messages I got. How many, even even people talking around the, it was like, is, is it true? Could it could it happen? As far as what he could do for football up there, mm. what he could, season 2020 with COVID when it moved up, what I saw in the space of 12 months from people like football, people will talk about occasionally too. Kids at school were wearing Geelong, Richmond, St Kilda. Um, football, they just they just turned to love AFL, which is normally a league in Union State. But I think people will get excited if Bud, if they got the chance to bring Bud up there. It's just going to grow it to that next level of who he is and what, he, what he's done for the game. But there's a bit more to go under, under the bridge with that. Well, he's got to fit into the structure of all that stuff as well. If, if there is a chance of him going up there, having a Danaher and having a, a Hipwood and a Buddy Franklin, three blokes, it looks, looks exciting, but they're three blokes over six foot five in the one forward line. As a defender, I'd be sitting here going, bring the ball to ground and off we go. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all hearsay until a decision's made. But I can tell you, there's a lot of people up in Queensland that were pretty excited by that news. All right, we'll delve there a little bit later on. Last night's game. So, if you are a bit of a believer that so the, the tyranny of numbers is the modern fascination for football, but the game doesn't always live in the numbers. Sometimes it has to be lived and breathed and experienced in real time, and that's true. Out of last night's, this is this might be the best case study I've ever seen. Melbourne, 409 disposals to 316. Inside 50, 65 to 41. Clearances, 52 to 32. Centre clearances, 21 to 7. Contested possessions, 161 to 139. Contested marks, 14 to 10. Oliver, 42. Petrarca, 36. Brayshaw, 32. Gorn, 31. Viney, 30. Those numbers represent a thumping 
Melbourne victory. But there's just something else at play, Brenton Sanderson. That was crazy, Jared. And those numbers you read out, that's the concern for me with the Demons. Uh, when they wake up this morning and they review this game, is their good players played really well. You mentioned Oliver, Petraka, Brayshaw, Gorn, Viney. They were outstanding for Melbourne last night, yet they lost the game. Um, the same thing happened against Collingwood earlier in the season where Oliver has 43 disposals, eight clearances, and they lose by 26 points. But some of those numbers, um, and you have to just throw the stat sheet away, and coaches don't do that. They rely so much on those metrics, some of those those key numbers. And for me, um, halftime was even more crazy. Uh at halftime, Melbourne had had 41 inside 50s to 18. So they were on track for 82 inside 50s, Melbourne, which is freakish. Like that's – you never see teams get that amount. And they just – Collingwood just could not get the ball past halfway in the first half. But when they did, Hodgie, they, they scored almost every time. Their, their inside 50 efficiency was crazy. They were, they were so good when they got the ball inside their forward 50. Clearances were 30 to 13 at halftime. So Melbourne were dominating around contest and clearance um, and contested possessions, which is the coach's favourite go-to. Melbourne were plus 25 at halftime. Um, but Collingwood's second half, and this is the spirit, the belief, the genuine trust in a game plan and a, I guess a trust in each other. Um, they made some adjustments, really well coached last night by McRae. They made some adjustments at halftime um, and it was seven goals to three after halftime. Uh, but some of those Collingwood players stood up. Maynard um, was just absolutely brilliant, particularly in that second half. I thought Pendlebury's leadership, um, the defence, of course, has just played so well all season. Um, and Melbourne just had – it just didn't look like Melbourne going forward. They, they didn't know where to kick it. It was, it was, it was amazing to see. And I loved the Goey's game. I loved Jack Crisp. He was, he was fantastic after halftime. Um, but a few question marks there for the Demon. They still look great. That was one of the great games. They still look fantastic, Melbourne. But if you're going to play like that and have all those crazy numbers, you should win those games. So that's, that's the challenge for, for Goody and his coaching staff this week. I think the biggest, the biggest thing from that is, with all those numbers, the connection going forward. Yep. And the hardest kick in football is the one going inside 450 to either hit someone up or put it to the advantage of a teammate to obviously take a mark or, or kick a goal. And you can see that Melbourne understand that. They're, they play, they're playing Gorn forward a lot more. Jackson's starting the games and the starting quarters in the centre bounce so as Gorn is a bit more of a forward target than Jackson because he's still learning learning the craft. But I think that's a big worry for him. Maxie could have taken the game. He had three shots a goal in the yeah. first half. Missed them, missed them all. Um, but that that's the biggest that's the biggest one for him. When you're getting so much ball going inside forward 50, that hardest kick, there's just no connection there. They just look lost. And as far as other teams, as soon as the ball hits the ground, they get excited and, and off they go. But um, the other part was how they got opened up in defence, but I think that has to, a lot to do with Collingwood. And you said they made a few tweaks to the game style, game style at half time, but how efficient they were going inside Fort 50. We mentioned in the first half, halfway through that second quarter, they had seven goals from 13 inside 50s, yep. Collingwood. And a lot of that, Jamie Elliott, when he didn't get his hands on the ball, he'd be chased down tackle. I think last night he had three goals from holding the balls. They're just a team that just won't give up. And I think that's why they're so exciting to watch. Well, I think, Hodgie, now what... What you have to do, and if, if you're going for a senior coaching role now and you want to impress um, a panel that's going to make the decision, you have to base your, your presentation all around pressure because pressure will win your games of footy. And we talk about offense and defense and clearance and contest. We saw the pressure last night. Melbourne had 100 more handballs than what Collingwood did, and that was because every time they had the footy, the pressure was on them. They felt like they had to get rid of the ball quickly, so that was by hand. Um, and that's, I think, what Collingwood did so well last night. And you mentioned 
Jamie Elliott. All of his goals came from tackles almost. Like um, That's the modern-day game now. If you're a forward now, you're there to pressure and tackle and keep the ball in your front half. It, oh. When I was watching that last night, normally when you if you're watching Melbourne, you want one ball, one tackle to go to the ball carrier, and then one to go to the receiver, just so they don't get looped out. But Collingwood's mindset was nut. Nah, we're going straight at the ball, and at yeah. times they had one, two, three blokes trying to tackle the one person, and Melbourne got the easy out. But as the game went on, that pressure didn't stop. So as Melbourne got more fatigued and more tired, they were making more mistakes, and you sort of sit back and go, that's that's clearly the game style. As you said, it's all based on pressure. If you make a mistake trying to do the right thing and trying to tackle and, and have an effort-based mistake, they're going to sit back and go, no problems at all because you're trying to do the right but thing. Is, is this the barometer for Melbourne? So have a look back at the numbers from last night. It was 18 inside 50 tackles to eight. And if you go back a week prior, when they lifted against Fremantle big time, it was 15 inside 50 tackles from 60 entries. Go back a week before that when they were undone by the dogs. They didn't lay a tackle inside forward 50 from 50-odd entries in that game, Melbourne. I think that comes down to a lot about the game style. So if you look at the Western Bulldogs game, they would not kick down the line. So they wanted to maintain the ball, switch it, and try to spread their zone. Yeah. Fremantle are a possession-based team who want to kick their way through, and they just couldn't. And they didn't have the confidence. After a while, Fremantle got shy, and they just went, I'm going to kick long down the line because I can't. I'm not going to try anything or go through the middle in case we turn the ball over. So they accepted it and did what Melbourne wanted them to do, where if you look at last night, Collingwood would do anything but kick down the line. That would be a last resort. And even there was a few times where they did go down the line, teammates are telling them off because that's not on the game style. So I think a lot of those plays, you're spot on, Sammy, but a lot of the plays are how the opposition are playing against them. If you're going to accept, okay, I can't get through, I'm going to go down the line, you're playing into Melbourne's hands and, and that's the ball's going but to be played in their half. If Melbourne are pumping an inside 50 that many times, Sando, surely the onus is, and I don't know, Benny Lyon, our producer, is a frustrated Melbourne supporter <laughs> as anyone. He's saying, well, where are our smalls? Where's Cosy Bigger? Where's that pressure that you're talking about that Billy Elliott provided? Yeah, well, it's, 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 that's right. And, and Hodgie is spot on. Is the, not getting those measured kicks inside forward mm. 50 where you've got your class midfield have got time and space to be able to measure a kick inside forward 50. Most of those inside 50s and if you could drill down inside 50s to quality inside 50s or um, almost inside 50s within sort of 70 metres rather than sort of having a blast it or bomb it earlier than what you want to go in. So it's it's a raw number but you can probably drill it down a little bit yeah. further into quality inside 50s. But it felt like every time the ball went in there, it was it was blasted in. And that's what the forwards will give the feedback this week to the Melbourne midfielders and defenders is, yeah, we had a lot of inside 50s, but there wasn't quality ones. There wasn't those ones where we could, you know, have time and space to be able to measure where we ran to. And, and that, that's, I think, was the telling part. And um, But that, that pressure, that, that ability to be able to sustain four quarters of ruthless pressure is, I think, now... Uh, that's the most important number if you want to find a number in footy is your ability to pressure the opposition into mistakes. And if I, if I can explain, the, the whole point with that zone and press is to make sure all areas are covered and you try and pin it side into the side of the ground. Mm. If you kick it long down the line and you turn it over, the bonus about blokes being in a press is they're not man on man. So if you turn the ball over, as Melbourne do, through Lever, through Gorn, through May, yep. you quickly go inside. You've got numbers of spare because they're not manning up. On the flip side, if you're switching the ball like the Bulldogs did, like Collingwood did last night, that zone's not there. They're moving, they're shifting, yeah. they're not as a group, and there's, there's no density and there's there's a lot of holes. So by the time they turn the ball over over the other side of the ground, all those teammates aren't in a position to attack because they've had to run, chase. It's not as stable as what it was if you just go long down the line. So that's why teams try and break a good zone like Melbourne Open to make sure they adjust and they move. So if they do turn the ball over, the teammates aren't there to slingshot back. Winning, learn game, uh, winning close games is a learned skill. I've seen enough footy to know that. 
The, it is worth going back and watching the last six minutes and 54 seconds. So mm. after goal for goal, lead changes five times. Ash Johnson puts Collingwood back in front. Melbourne has one inside 50 in the last six minutes and 54 seconds. It's the immediate centre clearance that Viney bombs in, Quaynor rounds it up, and it never gets back to Melbourne's half-forward flank. So six minutes and 40 seconds of game time, and they never got back to half-forward. So the game adjustment and the time management in that was absolutely masterful as Collingwood condensed the pressure around the ball and essentially ensured that it never moved more than 60 metres for the rest of the game in a frenzied finish. It's absolutely brilliant to go back and watch it and to understand the skill that's at play, what they what they have learned. So Craig McRae talks about the smiles at three-quarter time. This is our jam. Yep. We know how to do this. But it's not just the spiritual side of it at that point. It, it, it is very much the tactical side of it as well. Yeah, it is. And there, there is an incredible belief. And it's hard, to, it's hard to coach that. You can't tell players this is what we're going to do. The more times you're in that situation, um, the, the better it becomes. As you said, Joe, it becomes a learned skill. Um, it helped that they had Sidebottom and Pendlebury um, you know, Jamie Elliott out there, they had experience um, bl- uh, with a blend of young players, which are easier to instill belief into, as crazy as that sounds. So there, is a, there is a trust that's quickly developed with young players once they're in that situation many times. But hats off to McRae. He coached really well last night. I've said it already, but their ability to be able to change the way that they were, they were using the ball offensively at halftime um, – that got him back into the game. That got him back into the game combined with that pressure. But you're right, Jared, that last five minutes, there was a calmness, an eerie calmness about that group that was on the field that they were going to win. There wasn't panic. There wasn't um, mistakes. I mean, there was mistakes, but there wasn't mistakes made by having, um, you know, rush moments that were, it's almost like their heart rates dropped yes. in that moment. They were cold. Yeah. So instead of, giving in to the madness of it all. There was no panic. They didn't try anything expansive. They, they precisely knew what they were doing. And I think in these close finishes, Hodgie, you, you know, we'll get a look here. We, in six and a half minutes, Melbourne, I think we'll get a look or two. They didn't get a single look after that centre clearance. It's amazing. And I think uh, you said how good Craig was, but it's the, it's that coaching group to understand the situation of the game. And you, the thing we've been speaking about Collingwood this whole year is how attacking they are. They get on the half-back line and they're going through the middle. There was a couple – it was just before half-time. There was a minute to go. Moore picks the ball up from a point. Kicks it to Penelby down the middle of the ground. Penelby goes out to side bottom. They end up going down and kicking – It's Jamie Allick kicks a goal just before half-time. And I'm sitting back going, what team, when they're down against the Premiers with a minute to go before half-time – takes a risky kick up the middle of the ground, but that's Collingwood. But then, as you said, the the mindset to change when you're five points up with four minutes to go, I think it was um, Maynard took an intercept mark on the back flank. And what, what would Collingwood normally do? Go straight through the corridor, open up the fat side, try and score. It, chipped it sideways. He yeah. went straight to the boundary, and then everyone squeezed in behind it. So all of a sudden, they've gone from a team that wants to attack to, hang on, we've been in this situation. We know what we're doing. Go to the boundary line. If we have to... We'll kick it long down the line, but we've got density at the stoppage. We've got density behind the ball. So if Melbourne do get it, they can't slingshot back. And then even to a minute, minute and a half to go, when the ball was stuck in Collins' forward line, Jeremy Howe, he's sitting the spare bloke. He's gone and stood at centre-half back. He's on the 50-metre line of Collingwood's defensive end, just saying that if anything comes at me, I'm not getting blindsided on there. It's just when they're in that pressure situation, every player on that field knew exactly what to do 
And you said it before, though, it was just calm. It was no one panic. We've been here before. We know what to do. And let's just execute what we know we have to do. Taylor Adams to come back in. Brody Grundy as well. And I'll do well, Jared. And that's nine now by two goals or less that they've won. So if there's a if there's a form line or at least a self-confidence around finals football and the manic pressure that that brings, geez, they're as quipped as anyone. And now rather thrillingly, they play Sydney, which is probably for the home qualifying final. And they'll finish off against Carlton. Unbelievable. And we don't know what Carlton's fate will be at that stage. How long will it be before someone goes, oh, they need a loss before the finals. <laughs> they can't continue to do well, this. I've, I've spoke to a few Collingwood supporters who said exactly that. And I said, why? There's a beautiful mystique at the moment with Collingwood. that No one wants to play them, right? No. You wouldn't want to play Collingwood for the rest of this season or in the finals. Because you know you're going to get beat up. You know the pressure's coming and they're going to tackle you. And they are never out of the game. They were 20-something points down in the yep. second quarter. Again, against last year's premiers. So just give us one other aspect to it, Sando. You know this group so well. You've lived such a journey with them. Would you have imagined that this was possible? What are you seeing as someone who who knows what that has been and, and what it's developed into? Oh, well, I was – I mean, Collingwood finished 17th last year, Jared. And I, as you said, I was there last year. Um, but this group has been together the, – the core of this group has been together for five years, for example. And there's they've got great leadership. You mentioned Adams and Grundy. Uh, Pendlebury, obviously to come back in. You've already side got Pendlebury bottom. side yep. bottom. So the nucleus is there, plus that that group of Howe and Elliot, Darcy Moore. So there, and there's some great young kids coming through. But what you've got to admire is just the way that they've found some typical Collingwood players. So even back through Collingwood's last 120 years, there's there's names like Ash Johnson, who's great hands, sharp shooter, he's forward craft. Carmichael, who's a typical Collingwood player. He's hard, he's aggressive, mm. he's reliable. Um, Murphy, take another step this year. Courageous, strong in the contest. McCreary, typical Collingwood player. Um, goal kicker, but he's got speed and he's pressure and he's tackle. So they just keep finding these role players that are adding to this group. So I thought, Joe, to answer your question, I thought 15 wins would be an absolute ceiling. But they're already there. There is two games to go. So um, I probably thought, yeah, I, I didn't think they were capable of this is probably the answer that you're looking for. I thought probably 13 wins would be a great year for Collingwood, but they're going to surpass that. And who knows? The sky's the limit. Yeah. The sky's is the limit. Can you tell us a little bit more about Ash Johnson? Like he's last night watching him. He, his hands, how good his hands were in pressure situations, but also those two kicks in that last quarter. Yeah. Like for a young boy playing his fourth game, I think he went back and it did not phase him. They were two of the nicest kicks that, I, that I'd seen all night. And he went through, and then the celebration, the passion. But hearing about his story, it wasn't an easy journey for him to get drafted for one, but then had a few injuries since. Yeah, well, he's he's from Halls Creek, and a lot of good players come from that you know north region of WA. He's um, fantastic region for for young Aboriginal talent. Um, and he was another success story of the mid season draft last year. So he he was playing um, reserves footy and the occasional league game for Sturt in the SANFL. So um, Derek Hine, obviously. Um, Collingwood needed a speedy, crafty forward type. Um, and they called his name out in the mid-season draft. Had some injuries, like you said. But um, his first four games have been as good as anyone's first four games, particularly coming in in the mid-season draft. So uh, he's, he's, he's a super talent. He, um, and he's keeping um, Ollie Henry out of the side at the moment, who's another great young talent. So 
the kids are there coming through for Collingwood, so it's a really exciting time. Promising. There's so much out of last night's game. We'll keep this conversation going. And, well, so for the rest of the year, that the one-trick pony is going to sit so heavily <laughs> over the conversation. I just did some research, Jared. If they are a one-trick pony, they've got to be a very good one. So a bit of homework here. It's the Welsh pony. I think that's what they are. Not only athletic, but also sturdy and dependable is the bio of the Welsh pony. So we'll go with that from now on. What <laughs> impact did Ed Langdon's words have on last night's environment it certainly doesn't decide the footy game but it fueled the environment all right you're listening to crunch time our friday night footy discussion for werribee isuzu ute they make buying cars easy the award-winning crunch time they're sort of all duck no dinner in a sense that um you know, if they're playing fast footy on their terms, they're, they're a very hard team to stop, but um, they're a bit of a one-trick pony at times. So hopefully we can uh, nice. dampen the way they want to play and, and on the back of that, um, you know, go out and, and offensively play the way they want to play. Ed Langdon, an instant part of footy folklore with that interview. Gazy was on to it, Jerry. Yes, from Thursday. Straight away. Right. <laughs> As we continue our Friday night breakdown for Werribee Isuzu, upgrade your old ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-in. Shall we sample a few of the, the postscripts? I mean, how it played out in the first 30 seconds couldn't have been better. Ball with Langdon. Maynard, of all people bearing down, goes ferociously at him. Sidebottom and Pendlebury both join in. The crowd at fever pitch it was front of mind for plenty we we did use it as a um yeah a bit of a source to look back on because i feel like ed langdon sometimes speaks in the media and he didn't he doesn't realize what he's actually saying so um yeah when i <laughs> when, when i got that first tackle on him i um i let him know about it oh, i'd be lying to say if it wasn't on the whiteboard before we ran out so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, i thought uh, i thought he got uh, thought he got what he deserved in the first 30 seconds of the game anyway. <laughs> No, I actually really like, you know, personnel in the game. I, I'd encourage more of it. Speak up. Um, not because we won, but um, no, I think I think we're, we're craving that, aren't we? I think it's, I saw saw the news flashes just light up. You guys are loving it, and so, so we should. Like, let's embrace this. Um. Oh, look, Ed's probably one of the more respect, respectful people that I know, um, and he by no means would have been disrespect to Collingwood at all. So Ed got his words wrong, you know, he puts his hand up to that and it certainly wasn't disrespecting Collingwood. They've won 10 in a row because they've been doing and executing that very well. They've now won 11 in a row. I don't think we should criticise players for making mistakes either when they go in the media. It added to the environment so much. Luke Hodge, what do you think? Um, I just love the fact the player said it was on the whiteboard and Craig saying they're going, oh, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it's good. He was using that as ammunition and, and fair enough. So I reckon players can go and, and say a bit, but Opposition will take anything you say, whether it's against you or not. They'll try and twist any word that's been said out there and just use as motivation. And look at work. The build-up to the game was like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do to Ed Langdon? Who's going to get him? Are they going to go after him? The whole crowd in that first 30 seconds when Maynard's tackled him, four of them have jumped on. You could just sort of see the crowd behind him just jump up and go, we're in for a big game tonight. And look... If, if Collingwood, they, they wouldn't need any more motivation, but they would have used a little bit of that just to tr make sure that everyone was on edge at the start of the game. So it's manna from heaven as a coach, isn't it? When you're just, yep. everywhere, you're just looking for that tiny little bit more. You can't well, let that go by. From, from a coaching point of view, Jared, you're, you're unsure whether to use that external stimuli for the players because you want to focus on process, and it sounds so boring, right? 
but this was too good to refuse. This was too good to let let lie. But um, I don't think McRae had a choice, Hodgie, because um, like all those Collingwood players, it all spilled over with the emotion after the game. Oh, yeah, we knew about it, and it got out that Maynard shared it on WhatsApp. There's a WhatsApp group with the Collingwood players, and Maynard put it on there. And so then I think the coach had no choice just to embrace it. You know, we're, uh, we're an all-duck, no-dinner side. We're a one-trick pony. <laughs> Let's go show Ed Langdon. You know, so it's, it's the last thing they hear before they run out. But then the Langdon picks up the ball yeah. <laughs> in the first 30 seconds, and it's Maynard. It's the, it's the one guy you, <laughs> you don't, don't want tackling you. And then you said, Jared, like, Maynard gets you. And then there was a sudden they piled on. Like, oh, yeah. um, so, and to his credit, Ed, you know, he, he, he handled himself pretty well. He actually played a pretty good game, to be honest. And the side-bottom Langdon matchup on that wing was, was, fun, was fun to watch all night. But um, I, I look for him after the game, too. If any Collingwood players went, to, went straight to him. But, you know, to their credit, they were very respectful. And Langdon went and shook everyone's hand. So I was... It was, an, it was an incredible little add to the what was already a great game. Yeah. Can I ask it of you the other way, Sando? You're coaching Ed Langdon. Yep. Do you say to him, like Melbourne appeared to do, you know, he got his words wrong, he made a mistake, if he had his time over again, do you counsel – oh, do we tiptoe around each other so much on eggshells? Do you bother with yeah. that? Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree with um, the comments we just heard from McRae about we need more personalities yep. and we need more expression in the media. But from a coaching point of view, never criticise the opposition publicly. Okay, so praise them. Say we're, we're coming up against a really good side who's won 10 in a row. They do A, B and C really well and we're going to have to be at our best to beat them. But don't, as a player, don't come, up, don't come out publicly and say we're about to play a team that do this really poorly. Or, you know, so it's just choose exactly what Goody said. Choose your words a bit more carefully. But, yes, praise the opposition publicly, but you can criticise them behind closed doors and say this is how we're going to beat them. But I think, and I said to Hodgie before, you know, being – sort of former player yet is sometimes hear younger kids in the media when they're asked about an opposition, they simply regurgitate what the opposition analysis coach yeah. has told them during the week. And it's a mistake because, you know, sometimes as a opposition analysis coach, you have to give that team belief that this is how we're going to beat a side that's just won 10 games. So I can just picture their opposition analysis coach saying they're all duck, no dinner. Yeah. They've got one string to their bow. This is how we're <laughs> going to get them. And unfortunately, I reckon Ed's just heard that and spat it out on the radio. That's not the answer I was hoping for, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> not no, the you, answer I was hoping you're for. You're right, though. It's, it's about giving the opposition ammunition. And, and they're going to be pumped up to play anyway. But if you can put anything out there for them to take and go, let's go and prove these guys wrong. I remember uh, my second year at the Lions, Nick Robinson did an interview. So it was a Q clash and obviously – doesn't sound as big a challenge down here, but the Q class up in Queensland is pretty pretty big, as yeah. big as what they get. And Nick Robinson came and said, they're soft, they don't rate them, don't respect the way they go about it. And they reckon Fags, who everyone knows is like a pretty placid, nice father figure, they reckon he could they could hear him berating Nick Robinson from his office about 25 metres away in the gym. So it just shows that all coaches build up to sort of say, don't give them any ammunition. It's for, to get Fags a bit worked up, you know, <laughs> it's definitely got to t- tick the wrong box there. Jeez, so uh, good. I know. Good, it's good for, it's good for it the build-up. It is good. I, I, I look at it and think, surely that's not the reason they lose the game, of course, Jared. And we, and I was wrapped with Craig McRae's response. I mean, to hear Alan Richardson say, you know, he made a mistake, I thought he didn't make a mistake. He was being honest and okay. Yeah, I can see where other clubs can seize on any little thing. But I, I'd love it if we got to a point where we were mature enough where we heard more of those things and they had less gravity around them because we hear about them more often. That, that, not who we are culturally, 
though. We're not. No, that might wash no. in America, but it, like Gaze, the moment that it was yeah, said, Gaze's reaction is everyone's reaction. Ooh. Oh, blimey, you don't hear that very often, yep. do you? And it is, it is a mistake in hindsight is for the reasons that Sando's just said. There is a way of being colourful and having character without being disparaging. Not many have that. Bad. That is trick. That's a, that's a delicate art as well. But, uh, no, he was brut- brutally honest. I suspect it's going to lead to a dull set of interviews in the, on the way to the finals <laughs> for players. You won't want to interview Ed Langdon next time, I don't think. <laughs> One week at a time, four uh, walls sort of stuff. All right, so let's uh, just, just bring our Friday night conversation uh, to a head. The prospects of each team. So Melbourne are third. It's very possible Sydney go past them and they fall to fourth. They've got Carlton and Brisbane. So the Ds first is they're going to need some luck now to get back to second to host a qualifying final. And the fact that Sydney and Collingwood play each other doesn't help them. They'll catch one team, but they might not be able to catch the other. No, you're right, Jared. And and Hodgie nailed it uh, earlier in the show when he said, They've just got to fix that last kick inside 50, I think, at the moment. And they've batted a little bit of, um, uh, I guess, w- what to do with their forward line. You know, Bailey Fritch is such a good player, but you know now to fold back into those leading lanes that he creates. Uh, ben Brown's been in and out of the side with injury. They've had a look at Wiedemann, um, who's obviously a great young player. So they've that's probably the last little bit to focus on because they're getting plenty of the footy. They're winning contests. Their clearance numbers are great. Um, the only thing with Melbourne as well is this time last year, you could not outwork them. They were the fittest side in the competition. Their second halves, last quarters, were their strength. They they would run away from you in the last quarter. Uh, we didn't see that last night, and we haven't seen that. We we saw it in the in the Bulldogs game as well. Bulldogs are able to outwork them, which has not been a Melbourne trait in the last eighteen months. Yeah, I'm still bullish on on Melbourne. I think if you watch the football that they can play, like what what we saw them do to Fremantle at home last Friday night shows the team that when they get it right, when they switched on and they players that team with that defensive pressure, uh, they could still beat anyone. So I sit back and go, Melbourne is still up there in the top couple that I'll probably put as flag favourites just because of what they can do. Um, but, yeah, it's just a couple little things they need to work on, which they've been trying to tinker with the last few weeks. Ben Brown finally comes back in. Um, they've made the tweet with Gorn going up there more often. So, yeah, it, it's not ideal their last last month or two of football, but they've still got, they got themselves in a good position, two games to go, and they do play Brisbane um, round 23 will give them that, I reckon, that could push them for that top two spot. They, they can't bring the guillotine down, though, can they, Melbourne? That's not the first game where they've had a team absolutely on the rack. Guillotine poised and haven't been able to follow through. So that leads into all sorts of other debates around when we speak about the technical aspects of the game, of course, and on-field. But that ruthless, even if it's just that 1% that drove yeah. them last, is it there this well, year? Sam, it's a really good point. And, Hodge, I'd love for you to expand on it a little bit because I know great teams at this point of the year, there is that little emotional mentality where we're just not, not not treading water but we're just we're just going to wait till September and then we're going to dial it up yeah. um, when you know you're a good team and you're premiership favorites you think you can turn up when you need to turn up that dial a little bit more so maybe they're just in that that holding pattern a little bit mentally that they think okay we're there we're in the top two or three when September hits you will look out because we're going to go up a gear but that's hard to flick that switch Hodgie in it yeah, I think they were at that stage last week with the Fremantle game, and I thought that the, the switch was flicked then because what I saw was was outstanding. But I know if you if you watch how Collingwood play, they the, some of the kicks that they hit last night. Can the same players do that in a final? Because like, I'm sitting back going, they had 19, 20 year old kids kicking balls that I don't know ten year old ten 
year veterans wouldn't even try, and they'll get away with it. So, look, you sort of sit back and go, yes, they had it. They had all the stats in their favour. They had all the inside fifties. Collingwood just out, outplayed them in the end of the game, and and their efficiency inside fifty got the better of them. Um, but you sort of sit back and go, I reckon Melbourne aren't too far away. They had all these clubs going at them the last five six weeks when they've had teams try things away, whether they, the Bulldogs who switched it wouldn't go down the line. They had Freeman early in the year who their small forward line put Melbourne on notice. So they've had all these teams that are coming at them trying things because they were the flag favourites. And now it's their job now is to sit back and, and just put it all together coming in. But yep. as you said, they're sort of leaving a little bit late with two games to go, but they got themselves in still a good position. And Collingwood finished with Sydney and Carlton. So the Sydney game shapes as a home qualifying final and Carlton, well, it could be for anything on that last Sunday so they're... You talk about Collingwood supporters excited after last night. How pumped would they be if they get to kick Carlton out of the finals? <laughs> That's a, a big yeah. last game of the round. Oh, last game of the season. Great text here from a passionate Collingwood supporter, Chris, off the temper here, Jared. Uh, crunch time team. I was flying from Manila to Singapore last night with occasional internet access. I saw the score at one point was Melbourne 77 and my pies 70. I smiled and relaxed thinking, it's okay. We got this. No pies. <laughs> so good. So good. So that's Friday night. Collingwood beat Melbourne by seven points and it opens up all manner of possibility. What's Buddy going to do? What's Clarko going to do? And then we'll devote a lot of time to the, the full disgrace of the Adelaide preseason camp, which has been revealed by the players who were there. And the, the hindsight, the... The revision that goes on around all the failures of authority and oversight in this is actually quite horrifying. So we'll dedicate a lot of time to that after 12. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Isuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. The award-winning Crunch Time. Uh, there's a glow around crunch time after a great Friday night game, and that's true. And there's so much more to discuss as well. Lance Franklin and Alastair Clarkson. Imagine trying to read what's in their minds and then offer something constructive for debate. So, Sam Edmund, once you've read Lance Franklin's statement this morning, contract negotiations are now on hold until the end of the year. Mm. And everyone you've spoken to since that came out. What are the possibilities, Sam? <laughs> On the surface of his statement, it's, it's, it reads Sydney or retirement, doesn't it? I wouldn't read too much into it. I think it's fraught with danger, and we'll get to Clarko in a moment. They are similar in so many ways. I mean... Here's what we know. That bombshell report on Channel 9, uh, you know, Sydney say that was news to them. They certainly haven't been told that his Lance is leaving. Brisbane, well, they say it's news to them too. Certainly the football department of Brisbane completely in the dark, albeit, as Hodgie says, that they were happy to be linked with, with Lance and they welcome uh, the conversation. But where it sits with, with Sydney and Franklin, from what I'm told, Jared, is it's incredibely close money-wise. You know, the Swans have been really confident. The issue is I'm told, if we get into the nitty-gritty of, of Lance's would-be contract, is the breakdown between the football, uh, the salary cap money, and the ASAs. So we know the ASAs are the additional services agreements, if you like, the marketing component of Lance's deal. Now, to get that, Lance is going to have to do the work that all the players do, and that is, um, you know, the off-field stuff, the appearances, the marketing component, the, the image rights as well, which he doesn't have to lift a finger for. You'd think for a player like Lance would be significant. But I, I'm told this is the nitty-gritty of the detail at the moment, that the money is close, but it's the breakdown of the ASAs in there and how much Lance wants in there and not in there in his management. So 
at the end of the day, all that aside, it does threaten to be a big distraction for the playing group. I mean, they're all talking about it. All the younger players, what's Buddy going to do? What's Buddy going to do? You know, and the contract standoff here, right at the pointy end of the season with so much at stake. So I think a lot of people would be staggered if it gets to the point where he does leave. Certainly if he does leave for Brisbane, he might well retire. They've been so good for each other for so long. I guess the challenge is often, Sando, is, you know, how you exit your champions if you're a club, but it's also how you exit your club as a champion too. And you'd hate for this to potentially tarnish Buddy's legacy on the way yeah, out. Yeah, you're right. And that's such a delicate thing to do. I mean, I, I was never good at that and I only had three years of it. But um, mm. uh, those conversations with your stars, with the players that have developed so many credits, and we're talking about one of the greatest players the game's ever seen, you would hate for him to have a have a, have a oh, – I guess a nasty exit out of the Swans. You'd you'd, you'd hope to celebrate, and you know, I've, personally, you'd hope he would retire when the time is right, and the club would celebrate that, and that would be it. But yeah, I, I never love it. I never love it when there's a that that bitterness towards the end, and I don't think we're seeing that from the Swans at the mm. moment. But um, yeah, it's 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 not about money though, is it? Could it could it be about money? This is where. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure that Franklin's camp is cognizant of how this plays publicly. If this ends in a financial squabble, that's going to tell really badly for him. But if it's not finances, then what is it? Yeah, well, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't mm. be about money this this stage of his career. And like I said, one of the most decorated, gifted players we've we've ever seen. Um, you would hate for this to end, Sally. So does today's statement do the trick for the Swans? So this is, gets really delicate. They are right in premiership yeah. contention. That report lands on Thursday night, mm. and right or wrong, they know nothing about it. Yeah. The, the risk of the, the anything at this point, you're trying to mitigate against everything. Does today's statement do the trick for them? I don't know, and I'd, I'd love – I was going to ask Hodgie the same thing because as a player, and they are flying – they, they are playing great footy, the Swans – I don't know. I don't know. I'm too far out of the game to know if this is a distraction for the group on the eve of September, whether this can unsettle those young players, you know, in such an important time of the year. No, I don't think so. All, all I know is when Bud's backs against the wall, or even the occasion of his thousands, if it's a big occasion, the work ethic and the intensity and the the team first mentality that that's going to come from Bud, and you'll see it firsthand this weekend. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll want to show the boys that he's out there to help this team be as successful as he possibly can, even though the distraction's been there. And he's he's tried to squash it and just say, let's park it to the end of the year, uh, as a lot of other players do. But I think you'll find out this weekend that I don't reckon it's going to phase him. That, that team's a pretty smooth smooth team. John Longamai is a, a good coach. He understands that group, how he's been able to, to make a few tweaks and get them to play this year. Um, even if you look at all the distractions in around the thousandth goal like, and how they handled that and all the all the stuff that came with it, when you play with Bud, you know that it's going to be it's going to be a circus twenty four seven. People are going to be there. The crowd's going to be up and about. Um, this is just another part of the, the process of, of Bud being at your football club, but I don't think it's going to affect him this weekend. And what's Alistair Clarkson no, doing, oh, Sarah, Don't ask me this. <laughs> oh, who can answer this question? Well, he's meeting with GWS again. Oh, how many times has he done that? Four times potentially now. We know he's met with North Melbourne um, in person and via his manager, James Anderson and Sonia Hood, uh, the president down at North Melbourne, who have plan A, North Melbourne, and plan A, and plan A, and plan A. We know that GWS have, have interviewed the likes of Uze and Kingsley and obviously Mark McVeigh, who's the caretaker as well. At the moment, publicly, 
it's only it's a two-horse race. But are we naive to think it will remain a two-horse race? And I guess the motivations for Clarko to make a decision now when North Melbourne would love him to make a decision now? Or does he see out the rest of the season and see where the rest of the chips fall when we know the landscape in the senior coaching market is far from settled at the moment with a couple of rounds to go? What's the, what's the point in him making his decision early? So if you're, if you're Clarko, why would he make it now when he can make it in a month's time? Or in six weeks' time. Because he where... loves the pitch. He loves the club. It's the perfect fit. The he loves wants... the attention getting spoken about him as well. <laughs> but you sit back. If, yeah. if, you're, if you're making a decision for the next four, five, six years of your life and you've got another six weeks to make, clearly he hasn't made his decision yet because he's had four meetings with GWS. He's still meeting with North Melbourne. Uh, he's in the process of doing more stuff with them. He's not going to rush his decision. Like he, this is a big call for him for the next four or five years. And... That's where I sort of sit back and, and North. North must be getting a little bit nervous where if they're putting all the eggs in one basket and then it comes in six weeks' time and go, Clark goes, oh, I'm going to go to GWS yeah. or something else opens up. They have to press him for an answer, though, don't they? They, they, they have to, but he's not going to get bullied by a club to say, you need to tell us right now because that's not the person he is. And if you try and push him into doing something, guess what? You're not going to get the answer that you want. So if I was North, I'd, I'd sort of sit back and I'd think, can we – do something else here and start looking, even interview other people and let him know that. He'll, he'll, he'll understand the process that if they start interviewing other players, other coaches, then he'll be okay with that. This is crunch time. Friday night, footy saw Collingwood seven-point winners over Melbourne to light up round 21 where the matches of real consequence. The Twilight today, the Bulldogs and the Dockers. Tonight, Port Adelaide and Richmond. And then tomorrow, the Brisbane Lions and Carlton. Luke Hodge, Brenton Sanderson with you on Crunch Time, Jared Waitley and Sam Edmonds. I feel like it's the most inconvenient truth since Al Gore committed his thoughts to film is what happened at Adelaide's now notorious pre-season camp and the campaign to marginalise and silence those who would tell the truth. The truth is like the body in the lake. It always finds its way to the surface. And this week it was led by Eddie Betts and the release of his autobiography. It was added to by Josh Jenkins in a the most compelling dozen minutes of radio that I can recall. And now Bryce Gibbs this morning on SENSA has reflected on the camp and his sense of regret having been part of Group 1 in the summer of 2018. I, I'm, I, as, when I reflect, I feel like I was really disappointed in myself because this is when I started to take a back seat. Um, watching guys stand up and, and say, this is not on, we need to address this, we need to tell people what happened, they seem to get shut down pretty quickly. And for me to see these guys as brave as it was to get up there and try and have their peace and to get shut down, these guys have been at the club for a number of years, had a lot of respect within the group, if I was, I felt like if I was to get up and say something, how was I going to have much pull or much weight in it as I'd only been there for five minutes? Um, and it did. It, it did fracture the playing group. It fractured relationships in the football department. Uh, players lost trust with, um, with members in that football department. And we, we tried to move on where that was obviously the wrong thing to do. And that's probably why we're speaking about it four years on the events that tore a team apart are now documented so that that's a painful recollection of the aftermath josh jenkins tried to lead in real time he tried to stop events at the camp 
He went to the AFL. He pleaded with the Players Association. He tried to confront things internally. He got shut down at every turn and run out. And the Eddie Betts sort of in his understated way galvanised people together and protected them where he could. And ultimately, he's the one who had the courage to commit the words to open the way for others. It, it's, it, it, is a, it is a miserable case study, Luke Hodge, of a football team. Oh, without a doubt. And when, when you hear players, first thing that comes to mind is the trust. When you, when you get drafted into a football club, football clubs, you, you've, you've got to start trusting people, whether it's doctors, coaches, um, support staff in and around the football club. But what I look at there is the, the personal information that they gave to people who they thought were in their, in their corner, in their group. Um, when, when you start to trust people, you open up, you tell them personal details about things that you don't want anyone else to know. Otherwise, it'll be, it'll be an open slate that you can tell everyone. So for them to be confident enough or comfortable enough to tell people in your own football club who you trust, who you rely on, um, for them to then use that against you in in a poor way that, that these blokes have, have come out and, and said, the more stories you hear, the more you sit back and just shake your head and go, how how can the people at the football club allow that to happen? Sando, so you've coached the Crows, you know a lot of the personalities here. How, how have you absorbed the revelations of the past few days? Um, not well, to be honest, because... Um I have uh, or I coached Eddie Betts and um, I coached JJ as well, and it was really, really upsetting to read those revelations um, for me this week. Um, Eddie Betts is one of the most genuine, loving, caring people that you'll meet in footy, um, and to hear and to read what he experienced made me really upset. And I know a lot of Crows people and people in footy, and this is not just Crows supporters, they are really angry about this. Um, and then obviously now we've heard from JJ and we've also heard um, this morning from Gibbs. So, I mean, people make mistakes. We understand that. And the first mistake the Crows made, and we know now, is after a grand final loss, you need to put your arms around the players. You need to support them and you need to comfort them. You don't need to attack them. Um, we know that that's the first mistake that they made. But then it goes deeper and these layers just get even more and more disturbing, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, really hard for me to read because, um, you know, I, I care about these individuals too and to, to just even think what they had to endure is, is, is really hard. And for me, and I've, I've just gone a little bit, um, I guess I've gone with my layers, I, I wonder now about the mental health of those players who are still there. And I know there's... Most of the leadership at the Crows has changed since that camp, um, whether it's the you know the CEO, the president, the GM of footy, almost all of the coaches have gone um, and the, they would obviously be looking now to move forward. But there's still a, a large group of the playing group still there who, who must have this still inside them and in their soul that, and we're seeing some players speak up now who are no longer at the club, but it's, it's really upsetting. It, it is really upsetting. So th- there's a difference between the need to move on and wanting it to go away. So when when Crows officials say it's time to move on, what they're actually saying is mm. we want this to go away. We don't want to confront this. We've never wanted to confront it. And I don't know how a club, how does a club heal if it's not prepared to actually look at 
acknowledge and deal with what happened. Yeah, I well think that, they're living the worst delusion imaginable. Well, Jared, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is now. I, I know apologies are, are obvious, but I don't know what what do we, the people need to pay. Like what? Because all those people that like I said, are like in management positions and leadership positions, have pretty much moved on. Um, so what? What now? I think we have to we have to find out about the mental health of those players that are still there and. Um, uh, you know, there's great support around them now. I know Emma Barr, who was the who was the player welfare manager at the Crows, is no longer there, and she was fantastic. Um, she was there when I was there. She was instrumental in the welfare of the players when Phil Walsh um, passed away when he when he um, obviously uh, died, um, and that was an incredible emotional moment that those that playing group at the time had to had to go through. And then the grand final loss in the camp. So, you know, unfortunately, there's a be as I said, there's there'd be so many players who are still there who have had to experience all of these emotions, and now this. Um, and so, who who pays? What's what's the price that's paid now? I'm and not sure. The welfare department, like the club doctor, kept completely in the dark, Jared, about the location of the camp, the content of the camp. So, if you're going to bypass the processes before it happens, and then in the aftermath, we've let from. From a club perspective, it didn't happen to let's move on. Where, where's the in-between? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in Adelaide who have not distinguished themselves from the it never happened, it never happened, it never happened. It happened, but we have to move on. Time to move on. So yep. jo- part of Josh's revelations were the the full report that has been kept by the doctor, who's a pivotal figure, works for the club, responsible for the individual health of the players, fully documented in each individual instance what took place and what the toll of it was. The report is with the club and Josh's plea was this has to see the light of day. The Crows would do well to let it see the light of day before it's part of a class action and it is demanded in court. One thing is if the AFL and the PA, the WorkSafe South Australia, if they've all ticked it off, surely they would have went through everyone at the club and the doctors to find out all the information. How how can that get ticked off as everything was above board if all the information, especially serious information put in by a doctor, hasn't been seen? And how can the AFL tick it off and then not apologise, but then finally apologise to the doorstop figure of McLaughlin who goes on to say there were elements of the camp that were a disgrace and disgraceful, but your integrity department have ticked it off. All fine. Nothing to see here, basically. You could have made is, some improvements. Is that a head in the sand? Let's just tick it off and hope it goes away. Yeah, I don't think there was a willingness to deal with what had happened and it probably took it. So how, how do we actually approach this? So the AFL has ways and means. And the best example I could reference last night was was the tanking investigation, which never found tanking, but applied a level of penalty as mm-hmm. if it had. Right. And Gil famously said, I don't even know what tanking was, mm-hmm. but they still managed to find a way to deal with what they believed had brought the game into disrepute. So that's one aspect of an on-field. This goes to... So everything that the AFL would say that they, they that is abhorrent, toxic masculinity, cultural insensitivity, work your way through all the layers, and, and they're all contained here, and yet they could find no way... No... They, the truth is they could find no willingness yeah, the, to the, attack The it. biggest thing I've noticed in the AFL over the last 10 years is all they speak about is the welfare of their players. They spe- they've changed rules because of the, the injury, the prevention, for, because of the wellness of the players. As soon as you hear the story of Eddie Betts, how can they tick off the welfare of their players and go, yep, this is okay, no problems, let's move on? 
if they went and spoke to all the players as Eddie said he's spoken to them and nothing got done, how can you sit back and say that we're taking care of our players, we're taking care of the welfare of all of our players and go and tick that off? Um, so imagine how dispiriting that would have been within the club. So if you zero it now to Josh and what he said. So he spoke up at the time yep. and was ignored. He spoke up in the aftermath and was run out of the club. He took the complaint to the AFL and watched them do nothing with it. He pleaded with the Players Association, including his close friend and president, Patrick Dangerfield, and couldn't get an adequate investigation to take place. And people say, well, why is it taking you four and a half years to tell your story? Well, it, that's your answer. He has yeah. been trying every official mechanism that there is and, and there was to a get fear. this dealt with there and was got a, shut down at every turn. Yeah, There was a culture of silence and a fear there for the players. And you know what I'm most happy with is that Eddie Betts has been the one who's broken the ice and an enormous courage to devote that chapter in his book to this camp is that they've come in after him as well, which I think is great for Eddie, that Josh has been willing to do that. Bryce Gibbs, even though he's at, at the club for only five minutes, has admitted he's got regrets as well. And if he had his time over again, he'd do things differently. And I, I think Cam Ellis Yolman will have some words to say is too, Jared, about it. Uh, Hugh Greenwood as well, who was active in the aftermath at the club to try to repair uh, the relationships that were broken and would never be repaired. So I, I hope more players are, are bold enough to come forward. They are privately at the moment. There's been a stack of support for Eddie Betts and Josh Jenkins. I hope publicly more players, former, current, lend their names to it as well. There is a hardcore who resist. I think this is really important to note yeah. around the Crows. So Taylor Walker absolutely resists everything that's been put forward, which is really damning, I think. But Rory Sloan, who strikes me as such a sensitive soul and I would have said such a great leader, to hear him not recognise, Luke, that leadership is not about you. It doesn't matter whether the camp worked for you, Rory. What matters is the impact, the profound impact on the lives of your teammates and the complete ruination of the team in the aftermath. I just can't understand how he can't see that and acknowledge it. Well, the, the first part of leadership is listening to the guys around you. You're the voice of the players. And if you've got players, younger teammates, inexperienced teammates coming to you saying that they didn't like this, they're not feel comfortable with it, and you're ignoring what they're saying, then you shouldn't be in a leadership position. If you're putting yourself before the younger guys who look up to you to have the voice for them and you'll sit back and say, no, this is what I believe, so this is the way it's going to go, that's the first cross when it comes to leadership. You've got to listen to what they say. And, and sometimes when it comes to football matters, you, over, you override the younger guys because you might be more experienced in them. But when it comes to personal matters where it impacts them at home, at the football club, in every everyday life and you see the pain that goes through and just by hearing we've heard three stories how many others are there that have gone and spoken to the leadership group with how much they dislike that for you, for them to ignore it you sort of sit back and shaking you shake your head and go how can that happen mm. well i've done some crazy things on football camps this is without this is not without precedence but i'd love to know more about this group one sam this mm. uh jenkins was part of 10 players and two coaches in group one I'd love to know more about Group 1. Well, Group 1 involved Don Pike, who was obviously the coach at the time. The assistant coach, Scott Camparelli, they're both in Group 1. The captain was there, Taylor Walker at the time. Rory Sloan was there. Richard Douglas was there. Now, Tom Lynch was there, but he got sick and had to leave. But that came after the fact they kept him there for two to three days where he was uh, basically on his deathbed. And then they finally said, OK, you, you can leave. Uh, Daniel Tarley was there. Kyle Hardigan was there. Bryce Gibbs, we know, was there. Eddie Betts was obviously there. Matt Crouch was there. Josh Jenkins was there. The development manager, Heath Uni, was there. Now, he 
was the one. So Brett Burton had an existing relationship, the then head of football, with those involved in the mine training company. So there was a relationship there. They sent Heath Uni, who was a development manager at the time, to the Gold Coast to undertake the exercise, not to speak to the, the company, but to actually live it and do the camp. So he did it, but he did it with strangers. So he, it's a big difference doing it with strangers compared to doing it with those that you work day to day when you're having your information, which we haven't even discussed yet, used against you, which is the biggest betrayal, despite Josh saying that he'd sort of assurances that his private life and his, his upbringing wouldn't be used against him. It, it absolutely was. So he reported back to say this would be a great idea for the players to do it. And then, as we know, um, it, it's blown up. Were the coaches put through the same stuff as that and the yeah. same things were said, personal stuff was said to them in front of all the players? Well, I don't know about the harness and its use for Don Pike and Scott Camparelli. It's well, a question if, of if, if this is. I'm this assuming is, so because they're all. When you go on these things, you're all in it together, were you not? You, you'd hope so. Oh, not hope so because what they went through is is devastating. But if you go through and have coaches and staff with the players, it's supposed to be all as one. So if they go and are doing it and coaches are sitting back, not saying anything or doing anything, I'm sitting there scratching my head, going, "Well, are they a part of it, or are they just sitting back and yeah. plan the whole thing with them?" and and want to see how far they can push the so players. Josh's delineation was important here. So there was clearly stuff for some which was just exactly. pure old football nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. There was no deep background. Either it hadn't been provided to the councillors or they didn't have the same life traumas that, say, Josh and Eddie have had, which they too trustingly shared. And Josh sought assurances that it wouldn't be used against him and, and he says that was broken. So... I, I can, while I don't have a great insight into what this would look like, I can imagine the puerile football stuff yeah. and how it wouldn't have an impact Foot, on football Sloan or Walk. That's right. Yeah. So they, they weren't subjected to the same level of psychological trauma that Eddie and Josh have yeah. spoken about. So it is absolutely possible, conceivable, that a group would go through the same exercise and have different wildly opinions. different experiences. But is that, is that because those blokes were open, honest, and actually gave their full self to the group and to the camp where the people, who, the other people who did it who didn't open up entirely. Because if you go through life and you get to 25, 30, even the coaches at 45 or 50, you've got personal things that have happened to you throughout that can cut deep. Um, just as what Eddie said, just as what Gibbs said and, and Josh, um, it, it says to me that these guys opened up. They gave themselves to the camp. They gave themselves to the football club. And it's backfired against them in a big way. And other people in the same situation obviously held things close to their chest so they weren't as invested. So they walked out of it going, well, hang on, this was a good camp because they didn't give as much of themselves as what the other guys did. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable interpretation. And it's been discussed, but I've just got to say again, I, I, I admire the immense courage for Josh in the moment in real time to stand up and say, this isn't right. And as he said, Don, for a while, the senior coach wavered for a moment because, we, you know, Bryce Gibbs uses the term brainwash, which is a strong term. But when you're in that, you're all in it together, you're away on, on, on a camp, you, you, things, even if you are uncomfortable, I can understand how you might just roll along, but to have the conviction... And the strength of mind and character to stand up and say, no, no, this is wrong in the moment, I think is... Not easy to do. Hugely admirable. Not in a, fo- in a football yep. environment. With you your stand peers? Up and, with, with your peers, with the coaches. And when they go into a camp like this, the mindset is we're going to come out of this better than we went in. As a collective, as a group, we're going to push through. We're going to push barriers together. So that's the mindset going in. So for Josh to walk around and stand up, because a lot of those blokes, as we've spoken about, they're sitting there going, we are better, we're stronger, we're more mentally tough than what we were. But for him to stand up a, a 
around the, the captain, the vice captain, the leaders, and go against them and say, this is wrong, this is not on. It's it's massive from him. And, Jared, this is just the camp. I mean, it, this this did take part for the better part of a year where this company was involved in the club. Now, players have said privately for a time they had such a grip on the club that they found it hard to go and knock on the coach's door because Don Pike was involved with the company all the time, always with those people. They were actually out in the middle of training drills at the end of running lanes saying to players, oh, this is pretty hard, isn't it, mate? You might want to... You might want to bin it now. You might want to chuck it in. So they were so entrenched. Their tentacles were so inside that club for a period of time. It, it goes beyond the camp. Yeah. So, so you asked the question, what's to be done, Sando? Is when, when institutions have these historical failures that are represented, it doesn't matter whether you were the management of the time or the management. You have to own what happened. And so the, the first attempt at the Crows apology was quite pitiful, if, if I'm honest, as Tim Silver's the new chief executive, moseyed out in front of a question and answer, and at the back end of the sixth answer got to an apology for those who had a poor experience at the camp. That's not it. Yeah. You have to... And, and John Olsen, I think, is one of the great leaders this country has seen, is, John, it's time to step forward. It's time to step forward and bring to light all that happened, own it as an organisation, adequately apologise to all of those who are exposed to something that should never have happened. And equally for the AFL is they've done their investigations and, and the, the adjustments that have been made in the aftermath doesn't nearly cut it. If you truly want to say to the, the parents of young, talented players who are being brought into the system each year at the draft, that welfare is our number one priority. That that is a platitude at the moment. And then the last step is anyone who had a position of authority at the time and had oversight for what transpired or has played an active role in the cover-up has to be removed from their position. They should have already resigned. And if they can't see their way clear to resign, they should... they should be removed and it doesn't have to be a a damn it doesn't have to be with damnation it just has to be as an acknowledgement of these were the mistakes that were made this is the level of accountability and if you can't bring yourself to that level of never mind judgment it's the humanity that is missing in this so when i listened to mark rusciuto and it made me wildly angry the lack of humanity in understanding what has transpired here, don't worry about the judgment. That's enough. A basic human instinct to people under your care who suffered this experience on your watch, that's it. It doesn't have to be more than that. And if you never front up to it, the organisation will never adequately recover. And this this team collapsed because of it. I'm not sure they even recognised that. They were a grand final team. They were the best team in the competition and they haven't been cited since. Yep. They will never recover as a football team until they front up to what they did as a club, and their environment has protected them. That protection racket in South Australia, which aided and abetted the club, has been just so shameful. And the personal introspection that should go on on that front to what was swallowed and then what was dished up is you can't just walk past that. You don't get to go, oh, I got that wrong. Yeah. No, nah, no, nah, it doesn't work like that. Not, not after four and a half years of a really calculated campaign. It doesn't work like that. So it, it, it is time for them to front up. And the truth is they have, a, they have a great leader who has experienced a lot in Australian life. And he should be tossing and turning in bed over this. And he shouldn't be able to rest 
until he has dealt with it. So it's time to step forward as a football club and do this properly. Just give me one experience of when a camp has gone well. What, what did you... What did you institute? What did you partake in? Well, I, I keep smiling because I'm desperate to tell this story and it's, <laughs> it's, it's going to lighten the mood a little bit, Jared. And probably some of your listeners are too young to remember this, but when the Crows first came in to the competition in 1991, and what I mean the next year, 92 pre-season, um, I was an 18-year-old and we were told we were going to walk through fire. Can you remember? Yeah. Oh, Nigel Smart. Nigel, yeah. the fire walking. <laughs> Nigel. You're going we were actually, so 52 players, Jared. We spent the whole day mentally preparing ourselves. Oh. We had to come up with a phrase, and mine was "cool sand." So when <laughs> when when I walked through these hot coals, this was a fire that was burning. These hot oh, coals, thousands of degrees, Hodgie. We were told to walk through, and it was about fifteen meters long. And the very first player that did it was Nigel Smart. Thank God, wasn't one of us. That was too hot. Kids. The coals were too and hot, and it it burnt the soles of his feet like he was blistered and burnt. And oh, straight away, straight away, the exercise was was done. So we, we wasted a whole day mentally preparing to walk through the hot coals, and the first player that did it like severely, severely burnt the soles of his feet. Of course he did, of course he did. But my my phrase was cool sand. But um, the days of the military style uh, camps for foot, for football clubs, I think they're done. Hodge. I mean they're. That mental thing with the you know the SOG group or the Star group or the, um, the the Navy SEAL type mental toughness moments, they are done. You can't you can't expect these these footballers to be able to partake, partake in those those mental toughness camps anymore. Yeah, well, uh, I've never walked over coals. So <laughs> <laughs> how did he get drawn out to uh, to, to be the first it's one? Famous vision, isn't it? That? Yeah, it's incredible. But it's, it was we sat back and I thought I remember seeing as a kid going. Oh, I reckon I would have been about seven or eight. I yep. thought, even I'm not that dumb to do that. <laughs> and this is a full-grown man who's walking on coals with The things that clubs make you do as a player. He did the whole thing, didn't he? And he said yeah, he got stamping his feet at the end. He actually yeah. got across. I remember yeah. the big pump up before yeah. and everyone's cheering him. And he started Sammy walking was on fire. His feet were on fire. That's why he was stamping his feet. Crazy. Hey, we're, we're, footballs are not smart. <laughs> footballs are not smart. <laughs> Thank God he put his hand up to go first, Andy. Yeah, exactly right. Cool sand. Cool sand. <laughs> <carry that. laughs> it was going to be like cool <laughs> running. Well, that was, I was going to tell myself as my feet were burning, I was going to mentally tell myself cool sand. That was my 18-year-old phrase. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Round 21, the AFL record. It features Max Gorn and Jim Steins. His memories 10 years on. It is reach round. And it also features Hawthorne captain Ben McAvoy, who's playing his 250th AFL game this afternoon. The neck injury that he suffered at training earlier this year almost ended his career, but he's back and leading the Hawks into battle against the Suns this afternoon. Crunch time. So don't forget the AFL record at News Agents at the ground as you're heading to the footy this weekend. We'll explore those games that are coming, the critical swing games that will determine so much, and the trade latest with Sam Edmund on Crunch Time next. The award winning Crunch Time. 
The round 21 edition of Crunch Time has us gearing up for today's games. Thanks to Dometic, go on your next adventure, Dometic.com. And in these set of games, I feel like the ultimate bounce-back game, which we'll get to, which is the Brisbane Lions and Carlton tomorrow. But throughout the remainder of the season, this time on Crunch Time, Sam Edmund, we're going to delve into the trade landscape. And it feels like Isaac Rankin is, has become the headline act from yeah. a point where the Suns were certain that they had him to the sense of fear that he is lost. It's a really fascinating state of play with Isaac Rankin because you're right, Gold Coast are really confident. Now, not we did joke about this in recent times that uh, never has uh, a, a player buying a house hold more weight than it does at this time of the year, but he just done that at Gold Coast as of a couple of months ago. And they were making progress on a new long-term deal. They were deliberately waiting to get Lacocious done and they got King done too. And then the other member of that really good point in that draft in 2018 was Isaac Rankin. And they'd started to make some significant ground on keeping him. And why wouldn't they? Everyone else had re-signed. There's some optimism at the club. The coaches recommitted. And then Adelaide have come really hard and pretty late as well with an offer in the vicinity of being $4 million over five years. So somewhere around the $800,000 a year mark, some even estimating it's further north than that. So the Suns' confidence of keeping Rankin, understandably, uh, evaporating pretty quickly. They just can't compete with that financial package that the Crows have presented. They're not waving the white flag, but they know they're up against it and they're not going to blow up the cap to keep Isaac Rankin. So some at the club at Gold Coast, you know, just when they were settled and they'd stopped the exit of Sando, they're a bit emotional about it all. Here we go again, another player's leaving. But it's always going to be their lot up there at the Gold Coast. If you've got a player who wants to go for the for the bright lights and the, and the big crowds and the traditional footy market, they're never going to be that. So it really paints an interesting picture around the players that they draft because there's players up there that have fallen in love with the Gold Coast. You know, the, the Noah Andersons, the Matty Rowles, they're, they're in for, for the long haul. They've seen the vision. They love it. They love life there. But the profile of the other players, the interesting psychological profile of players they do recruit that might want to go home for all the reasons I just mentioned. So Rankin's out of contract, but he's not a free agent. So the Suns would definitely demand Adelaide's first round pick. And then you're going to get into some nitty gritty of the preseason draft and the threat of that. Now I'm told that if it did get to that, Isaac Rankin will be dead set against Adelaide playing that card, much like Carlton did with Gold Coast and Jack Martin going back a few years. So the sad thing is, he's, from a Gold Coast, Gold Coast perspective, is he's been a great story this year. You know, they've been patient with him. He was a high pick. He had the the hamstring issues, the groin in- issues. He didn't uh, play a game in his first year up there. But he's really shone this year, Sando, and, and the promise of much, much more to come. He's going to be a super player. So pick three would get it done? That's what the Crows would have at the moment? Uh, what pick have the Crows got? Yeah, three or four at the moment. Yeah, yeah. their first round pick. Yeah, so um, would Adelaide offer that? Would Gold Coast just accept that? What else would would be involved. I don't know. We can th- we can thrash that out. You can spend two hours debating that. But uh, I would have thought that would be a, a fair price. And they have to cough up a significant price, Adelaide, because the contract is commensurate with how they see the player. Well, they do have to become quite strategic, these clubs, in how they select their, their young talent at draft. And like you said, with with uh, with Anderson and also Rao, you know, mm. two best mates, they, they can go up there and play at the same club. Brisbane Lions did it by drafting those Vic Country kids like Berry and McCluggage. Yep. Um, who have no great pull to come back to country Victoria, whereas the Metro kids always want to return to Melbourne. Um, but it was always a risk with Lacocious and Rankin, those first two picks they took in that draft, yeah. two, South, two, two South Australians with the potential pull to go back home. I know Lacocious is re-signed, which is great for Gold Coast, but that's always that element of risk that they have to 
have to take when they're drafting young talent. So the only decision Rankin's made, Jared, is, is a no to Essendon. Now, Essendon's offer was very similar, we're told, to Adelaide's. But obviously, Adelaide offer what Essendon can't, and that is to go home to be yeah. with your family and your friends. So, Is it good shopping, Sando? This is the, this is the query I have. If... If he goes to Adelaide and the Crows' top two paid players are Isaac Rankin and Jordan Dawson, is that is that the build? Is that judicious use of your top dollars? Probably not, is the is the answer. But I think when you're building premiership success, you start with your power forward and your power or your your, your, your strong defender, um, and then you build through those A grade mids. But yeah, with a a small energetic forward um, and you see Port Adelaide did that when they let Wingard go who was a, who was their first round pick and was exciting and was um, had a great three or four seasons and then got traded to Hawthorne so they could build their stocks at Port Adelaide so but he is a, he's a great young player Isaac Rankin he was playing league footy for West Adelaide when he was 16 mm. and playing really well um, so a lot of a lot of great young players have done that and got on to great AFL success. But you have to be a multiple best and fairest winner yep. and you have to be an All-Australian to command that. So that that's the judgment call. And yeah, maybe he will. Maybe he will. But I, I think power forwards and explosive midfielders, yep. I reckon if you look at the builds where money have been spent and it's been successful in rebuilds, that's where the main dollars have been spent. And I don't feel like picking off those players from other clubs at top dollar. Yeah, I know. What does that look like in four years' time yeah, right. when you're trying to contend? That's the only – and you have to pay a premium to blast the player out, but you want to be paying it for the right player, I think. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, how do you get it done? How yeah. do you get the Jackson deal done? So that the, the most intriguing part oh. that we, we talk as if – Rankin will go to Adelaide and Jackson will go to Fremantle. How you satisfy the two clubs that they're leaving, given that they were early picks who are coming to fruition, it'll be, it, that'll be interesting. And there's so much intertwining when it comes to these sort of things too. So if Jackson goes to Fremantle, it affects Rory Lobb, who's going to leave Fremantle. You know, Bobby Hill's going to leave GWS. We'll get to them in a moment. Carl Amon's going to leave Port Adelaide. Dan McStay is going to leave Brisbane. We've spoken about Buddy already. Geelong sniffing around the edges. So there's so many of them are going to be related this year, I think, in a way. It's going to be a really busy trade period, Jared. And I think... We're going to have the old domino. We're going to have the old uh, the blocker that needs to be done to unlock the rest of them. So there's going to be some 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 hectic times, I think, this exchange window. Um, the Suns, by the way, they've registered an interest in Dyson Heppel as well. So there's potentially a player coming back in the other way. My gut feel is he stays at Essendon. It'll get worked out. There's been some haggling. It certainly didn't start off. Um, there was a bit of frustration, I think, on both camps early. But I think they're getting there. And I think Dyson Heppel will stay. But he's got that offer to go up to, to Gold Coast to see him providing some great leadership uh, up there for the Suns. Isaac Smith's going to sign a one-year deal shortly with, uh, with Geelong. Super recruit he has been. I think Ollie Henry... Henry will get there. So he's thrashing things out with Collingwood at the moment. Still unsigned. So it's got Collingwood supporters a little bit nervous. Geez, he's shown some good signs this year, uh, Sandoz. He's a good player, yeah. He's been in and out of the side, but just a just a pup, of course. So with McStay coming in, though, or we think McStay coming in, that's complicating things for Ollie Henry. Where does he play? When does he play? What position will he play? So there's a bit to work out there with him. Um, Darcy Gardner's another player, speaking that remains unsigned at Brisbane, that we haven't spoken about a lot, and some real interest in him as a free agent. So that'll be interesting. Uh, Cam Zerhar, Jared's still unsigned. Now, 
refusing to sign or even get to the table while David Noble was there and now obviously waiting to see what happens next but they cannot afford to lose Cam Zerha it's a really nice pairing they've got going with Nick Larkey there so as any player would be I imagine Sando you're sitting back to wait and see what happens with a new coach coming in I think so yeah but you're right Zerha is such an important player to the future of North Melbourne you'd be wanting his signature as soon as you can. <laughs> and GWS, I mean, all bets are off here. They might be the most active in the trade window, which we spoke about as well, Jared. as they look to balance the books there. Not an exodus as such. I think it'll be really targeted in terms of who they let go, and they've got some levers to pull here, given not all their players are in contract. So Tanner Bruin, he's definitely out. He just wants to get back to Victoria um, only two years after being taken a pick 12 in the 2020 draft. Bobby Hills wanted a trade since this time last year. And Tim Taranto is out of contract, widely expected to seek a fresh start. And then they've got his, his midfield running mate, Jacob Hopper, who's got a year to run, but Geelong have expressed a real interest in him as well as Jordan Dugowie. I think Hopper's their number one target there. So um, Nick Haynes has been raised, contracted long-term. Uh, Lockie Whitfield even just around the edges as well as someone who's locked in, of course, for the long-term. So there's a bit to work out at GWS also with a new coach coming in. Yeah, and I suspect the choice of coach plays a role in that. If Clarkson was to yep. take it, they would set up to be successful as quickly as possible. I feel like if if it's Uze or Kingsley, they'll take the couple of years to reset their list and reset their finances and let the new coach learn his craft while while they reshape their list. So mm. I think they're they're an interesting study. Yep. All right. The bounce back for Jurovich providing erosion control and environmental revegetation. It might be the best bounce-back game of the year. The Brisbane Lions and Carlton, where you just don't want to be the loser at the end of affairs at the Gabba tomorrow. So much to play for for both of these teams. And Carlton are 4-4 four and four since the bye, but it's the losses. It's the, the Richmond loss, St Kilda, Geelong, and then they, that, that loss to Adelaide last week was really disappointing for Carlton and I've they've been one of my favorite teams to watch to watch this year um they've really embraced this bash and crash at the contest they're effective from stoppage they're a really hard running side from contest to contest um but when their hunger for the contest just drops slightly they do drop back to look like an average team Carlton um those missed tackles last week against Adelaide and I think I think if I'm Vossi this week, I'm playing those missed tackles on loop in the change rooms this week just to build that 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 anger at how they played last week. That that foggy goal where he breaks three tackles to score the winner in the fourth quarter, that would be shown over and over and over um, this week. And I, I just can't wait for this game. This is going to be an absolute ripper. Um, they're playing at their best, Carlton, when they can run defensively and they haven't been doing that consistently. Um, and for whatever reason, the last six weeks they can't score. And they've got um, they've got uh, Kerner who's leading the Coleman. Um, they've got this great midfield. Uh, they just they just don't want to have a sloppy finish to 2022 because they've been excellent. I've loved watching them play. And I'm not jumping off the lines either, Jared. Um, I know a lot of people have uh, in the last couple of weeks. For me, it's just the grit. They just need to find that that little bit of grit at the moment. They're getting into this shootout style. Um, uh, play at the moment where they're trying to or the old Malcolm Blight way where we're just going to score more points than you <laughs> and that's how we're going to beat you. We don't care how many you score, we're going to score more. Um, and they're the number one scoring side for 2022, uh, the Brisbane Lions. So offensively they're fine but they've just got to embrace um, this pressure at the moment, this external everyone's office um, and, and I think I think Fagan just uses that this week and says we've, we've been written off, 
We're playing against a hungry side in Carlton this week. Um, let's not get beaten by grit this week. Let's not get beaten by a side that's more determined than us. So they've got talent everywhere, Brisbane. Um, their, their forward line's great. They've got an A-grade classy midfield. They're just not quite getting it done defensively. And that has to be their focus this week. They're ranked ninth in defence over the full season, but they're ranked one in offence. So just get the balance right. Yeah. Get the balance right and they'll be fine. And I, I, I still think they're a real, they're a real contender in 2022, but it, they, they have to win this week against the Blues. It, you touched base on the George Hewitt front this morning. I'd love to know an answer on exactly what's wrong, but it's a back problem of some sort, Jared, to the point where Carlton are really worried. I mean, we might have seen the last of George Hewitt for the season, so there's a real unknown with this. He's a week-to-week proposition. It happened in the Fremantle game, I'm told, and on the flight back, maybe just the, the long-haul flight, maybe if they had their time again, they'd handle that a little bit differently. But with Matty Kennedy out as well, potentially for the rest of the season with the jaw, just when they were getting on top of, of the uh, the injuries and they were getting, you know, the pit nets of the world back and the March Banks and Jack Martin as well, they've copped a fresh wave. So, and right in their engine room, um, Sando, which is where, which we know is their one wood. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance that up. Paddy Dow coming in, another chance for him. The bounce back as the Lions and the Blues meet. We're gearing up for all the action today for Dometic. We'll take a look at the Bulldogs and the Dockers and then Port Adelaide and Richmond, which are the two key swing games on this Saturday of football. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go collection. Just pack, stack and go. The award-winning crunch time. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. Who doesn't need a rev up is the better question <laughs> this Saturday. The rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. You could rev up the Saints as they head down the highway to protect their place in the eight against the Cats. You could rev up Richmond to make sure there are no missteps against the dead honest Port Adelaide team. You could rev up the Dockers and say, well, are you going to disappear without a trace this season or can you find the way back? But I feel like, Brenton Sanderson, we should rev up the dogs. You're heading to Marvel. Yep. We're about to see Sam Darcy for the first time. They're wearing the Robo Dog jumper, which <laughs> is a that. terrific throwback. It's awesome. And there's the path to pick off three and still claim a vacant place in the eight. Well, there's three teams, we know, Jared, fighting for that last spot in the eight. And it's squatters right. St. Kilda are there at the moment, but they've got probably the toughest of the three uh, games remaining. The dogs just need to find their defense and their team defense because they're ranked really low in tackles. Um, sides are denying them the footy. They're chipping it around. They're marking the ball on them. They're denying them the footy. So, and we saw last week Geelong's third quarter. Cats scored nine unanswered goals, um, and the Bulldogs just looked at each other like, "What do we do? We just can't stop this." Uh, we know they're great offensive. Their their midfield is completely stacked. Um, they've got no trouble scoring. Although their coast-to-coast ball movement's dried up a little bit this year, the Dogs. They're not going end-to-end like they, they used to. But they're an elite clearance side. They're scoring from their front half, high disposal, high inside 50s. They play Fremantle, the Giants, and Hawthorne. Mm. But they've got to win today. And this Fremantle side is a great defensive side. Now, they're the opposite. They can't score. But the rev-up has to come for the Dogs. We need them... We need them to win today and to play well defensively so as a team. Yeah, the Dockers style could starve the Bulldogs of the footy. Now, we know they're not in great form at the moment, but 
that that style at least is a little bit of the kryptonite. Well, that's right. And we're going to see a really good defensive side against a really good offensive side today. Like Fremantle, they just can't score. They scored 39 points against um, Melbourne last week. They only scored 52 points against the Tigers, 50 points against Carlton. Earlier in the year, 44 points against Collingwood and 33 points against Mm. the Suns. So defensively, they're really good Fremantle and they're going to frustrate Melbourne. uh, They're going to frustrate the Bulldogs today. So... Um, this is going to be a great game just to see how both coaches can manipulate their weaknesses to try and play into their strengths. It's going to be great. Port Adelaide and Richmond a little bit later on. So the Port now can't make the eight. So it's always interesting to see what that reality does to a team. I wonder if they can muster the motivation around the, the history with Richmond in pointy end finals and try to be their stumbling block. Well, that's it. And we know the Port Adelaide season's done and they've, there's been some, uh, I think Motlop retired, you know, he's been told he's out of the side and they're going to play some, some of the younger players, which is great. Um, but we have seen some glimpses of Richmond's best, but the Richmond pressure's not there. So we talked about Collingwood earlier in the show about how great their pressure was for four quarters last week. We're not seeing Richmond's pressure matching them at their best. Um, they're not forcing those turnovers. They're not, that manic tackling pressure's not quite there at the moment. They're not getting those front-half scoring turnovers that they've typically got. And their last six weeks is really intriguing because in round 15, they lost to Geelong by only three points. They defeated the Eagles by 35 points in round 16, which they should have. Which, which they should have. But then they lost to the Suns by two points. They lost to the Kangaroos by four points. They drew with Fremantle. And then they've had that great win last week against the Lions where the Lions were all over them and they, they found a way to win. So... Tonight we get to see the best, or we hopefully get to see Richmond's best. That's that's what we've got to look for tonight. Interesting team selection, Port Adelaide as well. Yes. So they've lost Todd Marshall to COVID, but then they've still dropped Mitch Georgiati. He he played so badly that's amazing, last week right? that I presume there's just a threshold where you go, no, if if you're playing that badly, you just don't get to play, no matter of what else. No, get out of jail free like. pass there. No, yeah. and, and Bryn Tickle comes in to, to play ruck, obviously. So Finlayson, you imagine, spends more time forward. So Saturday, there's a tepid start to Saturday, and then she really hots up as the matches present from the twice. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. Sam, time for a little dabble. Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks very much, Jared. Let's touch base as we do this time every week with Joshy Jeans. Josh, how are we going in the dabble department? Yeah, look, Sammy, the same game multi seemed to be the payoff for the crunch time team. Obviously, hitting that last Friday with the brace, short disposal, same game multi. And the Sunday team would be two from two if Liam Pickering decided to listen to Michael Barlow last week, but he decided not to. We've missed by one leg there. Oh, pickers, always a lone range of pickers. <laughs> but we're, hey, well, look, we're starting to find some form for finals. So who are the tipsters to follow then? That's right. So there's a dabbler by the name of Between the 50s. Uh, they went nine from nine, including the Crows and the upset. See that $50.70 for multi, which is huge. And Punters Hub have been on fire as well. They've hit a winner uh, with 22 copies. So plenty to like there on the Dabble app. Okay. What have the team got for us this week, Josh? Yeah, let's have a look. So go on the Gold Coast Suns against the Hawks there. Bombers uh, over the Giants. 
The Dockers over the Dogs and Port Adelaide. That one paying $13.60. So I'm guessing that's where you've added the value with the Dockers there. Yeah, I like Port Fremantle. That make me nervous. They make me nervous. I think under the lead there, the Dogs are going to be too good. But I've got Dermot Brereton's uh, tips in front of me as well, Josh. So Here we go. Uh, get your pen ready. Uh, Levi Casbolt, <laughs> two-plus goals. Into Jackson McRae, 30-plus touches. Into Geelong, 40-plus. Oh, gee, 40-plus against the Saints. I like that. I like them going big there. And, of course, you can follow those uh, easily by just downloading the Dabble app, Sammy. Follow the Crunch Time AFL team. Uh, follow Dermy 23 Go on, have a Dabble. Dabble socially and gamble responsibly. Thanks, Sam. Well done. Enjoying Crunch Time banter. Check out Dabble, ban- Dabble banter channels and copy Crunch Time bets. Go on, have a Dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Sam, just a, a little addition at the end. Yes, uh, a statement has been provided by Andrew Pridham in response to uh, Lance Franklin's statement that we detailed earlier this morning that he will put off contract talks until the end of the season. Pridham's told Seven News, Jared, we are very supportive of Lance putting off making a decision on his contract until the postseason. So we, we thought that that would, uh, that would take place, and it has done. Andrew Pridham goes on to say, our collective focus is on football for the rest of the season. It is an important decision for Lance, his family and the club. I see no need to rush an outcome. Terrific. Good on you, Sam. Thanks a lot. Excellent crunch time. Cheers, Jared. Brendan Sanderson, great to have you here. Go and enjoy the dogs and the dockers. (laughs) I can't can't wait to listen to you. The Ariffa. I'm going to stay and uh, have a look at the Hawks and the Suns. The Suns trying to equal their best ever season in the league, equal the feats of Bluey McKenna. They really should this afternoon down in Tassie. What a great edition of Crunch Time. Friday night footy, when it's at its best, it sets a tone for the whole weekend. It's done that. Enjoy what comes next. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.